This morning, it comes with, with sometimes some great sadness as I conclude this message series. Thank you, honey. Uh, for those who don't know, that is my wife. I don't call ladies in the church, honey. And, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I'm excited that today we conclude this series. But I just want all of you to know in this church that I am excited about the resurrection. And we are a church that believes in the ascension of Jesus Christ and the resurrection that he is life. He's no longer in the grave, and every time we get together, we should celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He told his disciples to go spread the gospel, tell other people about what you have just witnessed. Do not gaze up into heaven wondering what just took place as he spoke to his disciples. He said, look what just happened. The angels were there. They were trying to communicate to the disciples, and there was excitement. Yet I'm sure there was great concern. If you would please turn in your Bible with me to Acts chapter 1 verses 1 through 11. Acts chapter 1 verses 1 through 11. And I hope through this series that you've been seeing that God is not a God who is out to get you, but rather he is a God who has been pursuing you with his love. The Gospels over the last few weeks, we read of God sending his son to die on the cross for our sins so that we can be with him for eternity. Our sin problem was taken care of on the cross, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. During the ministry of Jesus, he shared the kingdom of God with his people. He shared his concerns with his people. But you see, Jesus' earthly ministry would end. But after Jesus ascended into heaven, there needed to be a way to tell people about the great things God has done for them. This was going to be a big job. It was going to be a big task. Take a lot of prayer, a lot of work. And more importantly, Jesus was encouraging the disciples that it would take a lot of people. And in the book of Acts... In the other letters of the New Testament, we see that God planned on using the church to help save those who are lost. And today I get the great privilege and honor to talk about the church, which is us, which is you and which is me. It's called to help lead people back home. Let's read together. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And I'll be reading this morning out of the New Living Translation. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach till the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of Verse 4, once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. You see, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And in verse 6, so when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times 
and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? You see, Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Reminds me of the church today. So many of us stand just gazing up into heaven, wondering what's going on. And there are the angels of the Lord's messengers were there to speak to the disciples and apostles that actually saw and witnessed the miracles of Jesus. So he tells these disciples, and we're going to open it up for you this morning. He talks about the church. And as the church was getting off the ground, God knew they were going to need some help. And so today, as we look at the scriptures and conclude our series on This Is My Story, This Is My Song, Praising My Savior All the Day Long, I want us to focus on our role as a church. Our role as a church. Our story. And the interesting person, God chose to help it. You see, even though he chose the disciples... That same help that was commanded to the disciples is there for all of us to experience and to tell. How many of you have a story here this morning? Go ahead and give me a, give me a wave. Do you have a story of God's grace and his saving grace and mercy? Amen. We all have stories. We're all here because of God's amazing grace. So we look over into 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So let's go over there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 27 through 30. And I love where he's talking about, you know, one body with many parts. And every church has to have one body, but it takes many parts to do the work that God's called us all to do. Which part of the body are you? Are you the thinker? Are you the doer? Are you the, the worker? Are you the administrator? Are you the teacher? Who are you? What is it that you're actually, you feel like you're a part of that body? I often wonder when Paul was talking about that, you know, what is my part? Am I the elbow? Am I the finger? Am I the head? The toe? I mean, we all have a part. And think about it. If you guys get hurt and something happens... Whatever goes off that little sensor for a little finger cut. Remember when I was telling you I had a boo-boo? You guys like that word. I had a lot of people come up afterwards, so I just thought I'd say that again today. You get a finger. Why is it that those little slices or cuts, they hurt like the Dickens? Whatever the Dickens is. Something my parents taught me. But they hurt. But it sends off sensors. So then all of a sudden I can't use this finger because I've got a cut on it. So we've got to use all these other fingers, and then my arm, if your arm's all gimped up, or your knee, or your body, you just can't, how do I want to say this, uh, you just can't function as well as you once did. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, and this is out of the NIV. It says, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. 
God has placed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all, are all apostles? And he was asking the question, is everybody a prophet? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? And do all interpret? Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word this morning. Help me to explain what our role is, the church. Help me to, uh, Lord, as I speak on such a great character as Paul. Father, I just pray that you'll help us to remember your ascension. Remember that glorious day. Father, as, as the disciples stood gazing into heaven, we all have a story to tell. May it not just end in this prayer room, in this sanctuary, but Father, may our stories continue to be told so that others can hear, see, and believe. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Point number one, the church is the body of Christ called to do his work. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to set up just a platform here. And the early church had many struggles, not too different than the churches do today. The church was struggling with spiritual gifts. The church was struggling with immorality. Who was greater than who among other things? The church at Corinth had a lot of issues. Welcome to church. People all say to me, you know, oftentimes, I, um, I'm a little confused because I was coming to church and, man, you have some messed up people there. I go, I know you're right. You have a messed up pastor. We're all messed up people, but because of God's grace, we can be perfected in him. And that's why we come here. See, our church isn't perfect with perfect people. I mean, I got to tell you, I used to part my hair on this side, but now I'm parting it on this side because this line that I used to have, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, now I'm trying to get it to grow back out because I don't know if I want the line just too much work. And you young guys can, can work real hard on it because you make tons of money. You can go to the, the, the barber or the beautician every week. But, uh, you know, so I'm trying to get it to go back over there. And uh, so my body has a lot of issues. The church has a lot of issues. We all have imperfections, every last one of us. But that's what brings us all together. See, we come together to encourage one another. That's what brings us to church. But I like what Paul was trying to get them back on track, so he wrote the first and second letter to the Corinthian church. When the church does not stay focused, eternities are at stake because Jesus chose the church as the mechanism to carry out his work here on earth. Assembled together, the church is Jesus. We are to think like Jesus, we're to act like Jesus, and love others like Jesus loves them. In the passage we read, the church was fighting over spiritual gifts. Some of the particular gifts thought they were more important than those who did not possess the same gifts. I'm glad the scenario does not play out in the modern church, although it does. Verse 27, 
reminds us that church is the body of Christ, and each and every one of us are a part of it. Now look at this illustration. Unlike a sports team, there is no bench in the church. You do not have to sit on a bench and wait your turn. You are in the game right now. I've had people say to me, I was waiting for them to say something to me last week. I'm glad that Troy felt the urge and encouragement to do a 60-second usher training with Matt. Here's how you do it. We need your help. Get up and do it right now. Okay, sir, I'm, I'm there. I'm, I'm game. I'm here. That's his spirit. That's his attitude. And uh, because that's reality. That's life. We all should jump in. Think about it. Husbands and wives, when you get married, you just all of a sudden don't get married. It's a team effort. It's both of you working together in that home, functioning together as husband and wife. Man, you don't sit there and just put out your commands. Wives, you don't sit there and just put out your commands. Now, see, I knew I'd hear more stuff, okay? And all God's men said, okay, I had to, I'm glad I'm the pastor up here. Women, please do not throw anything at me this morning. We are the body of Christ. We are to be like Jesus in our thoughts and in our actions and, and in our love. Just like the family should function. The church should function the same way. I like what it says. The two shall become one flesh. And if you're working together, together in unity, you're getting a lot done in your house. And we know that phrase as we embark upon this beautiful season of May of Mother's Day. And we know the saying, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Got that right. So it messes up the house. But when you're all in harmony and everybody's moving forward together, a lot can be done. If you get your family together and it's a cleaning day in the house and everybody does their part, a lot gets done and you're working together in unity. But as Paul was saying to the church, if we're not working together in unity as one body functioning together, we can't accomplish what Jesus was saying to his disciples as he and they saw the story. We have to live it out. It's not an easy task, and there is no easy tax, task. Since the church is the body of Christ, we're called to carry out the mission that Jesus calls all of us to carry out. The church is com commissioned to do what? Go into all the world as witnesses for him. Acts 1.8 says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So many people with inside and outside of the church have ideas to what the church is called to do. I have had folks walk through the doors wanting money to for me to refill their cell phone. Buy them pizza. I'll never forget this one story. And it's so real to me. A woman walks in. She says, I need help. We need gas, we need food, we need diapers, and, and there was a list of things. I said, well, that's great. I said, and are you by yourself? Is your, no, my husband's out in the car, so I decided to go outside. And that Cadillac was so beautiful, shiny, clean, exquisite Cadillac. And they were parked right here. And my question was, 
okay, wait a minute. I understand the Great Commission, and I understand sharing the story. We're to help the church, and we're supposed to help the church with the poor, and we do just that. But is that a part of what we're supposed to do? Yes. But is that the prime mission from what Jesus told us to do? No. Some within the church think it is our job to visit the sick and take care of the members of the church. Is that a part of what we're supposed to do? Yes. Is that what Jesus said our main mission was to do? No. Some say that we're to rally around and fight injustices of this time, of this world, and of this age. That can be a part of what we do. But is that what Jesus said our main mission was to do? No. We're to spread the gospel. Listen what Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. You can follow along or I'll just quote it to you. But here's what Jesus said. So then Jesus came to them and said, Authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of this age. Acts 1.8 was the last thing he shared with his disciples before he ascended. You see, his mission must have been important. Our main calling is to reach lost people, then teach them to be like Jesus. Oh, to be, you know the old song, I'd rather have Jesus than anything. I'd rather have Jesus than riches and gold and any material wealth. The old hymn says, I would rather have Jesus than anything. We need to tell others about Jesus. God wants all of us. And the reason why I'm speaking on this this morning, because I'm going to tie it into the last story of this series. And he wants us to share the mission that he's called us to give, to share, to tell with our coworkers, with our friends, with our families, with one another, maybe even with a stranger. Because if they don't see your story and they don't hear the good news of salvation, no one else will tell them. See, I find it real interesting that we celebrate the death, the burial, and the resurrection, but we don't, in our evangelical circles, speak about the ascension when the ascension was the important part of that 40 days of Christ's life with his disciples and with others. You see, 1 Timothy chapter 2 says this, This is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Jesus said the poor would always be with us. Because, you see, Jesus didn't, when he was here, he didn't take on the Roman government. He didn't take on the adversity as people came up and rose up against him. He did not even lead a crusade to stop the practice of slavery. He did not heal everyone who was in need. Jesus was on a mission all the time. So I'm going to ask you a question. Are you on a mission 
all the time? Do people see Christ in you? When was the last time that you shared his story of the resurrection? When was the last time you just said to somebody, when I was just a little boy or a little girl, I accepted Jesus as my Savior. And here's my story. I was at vacation Bible school. Or my mom or my dad. Or, you know, back in the day when all little people sat in the church and they heard the Word of God. At nine years of age, I accepted Jesus Christ. At 13, I knew I needed to be baptized. At 15, accepted the call to preach the gospel. And yet we're so distracted. We have to have so many things instead of really reinforcing God's holy word and his story of the resurrection. Jesus loves us and we all have a story. Share his love with others. Even in the Bible it says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Do any other things to open the door for him to fulfill the mission. As a church, we should always make sure what we do enhances our opportunities to reach lost people and help them grow in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, We're therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. What have you been running from? My question to all of this, how are we doing as ambassadors of Jesus? If the Bible says we are to seek and to save those that are lost, what are we doing? Now, the church was fresh, new, yet it needed leaders and direction. And it started with the original apostles plus a new one after Judas. And then God did something interesting. Two more points. Point two. God raised up a leader to the church to fulfill the calling. You know, I I, I think it's interesting when I look in the scriptures. And God does interesting things when he taps on the shoulders of so many people. And their names are now written in this book, the Bible. Abraham, Sarah, Moses, Gideon. And the list can go on and on and on. I think the most intriguing pick was a man named Saul. Because starting right off the bat, here's the background to this man. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, it says this, Jewish law. So we start right off with a bad picture. Circumcised on the eighth day. Nobody flinched. Nobody. But why do we start off scripture like that? Because it was always about fulfilling the law. So they were identifying who he was. Now watch as this unfolds. The tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. You see, this guy was greatly qualified in his position. As for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. Wait a minute. It said he persecuted the church. So Saul of Tarsus was an unlikely candidate to help the church grow. I kind of put him in mind of Osama bin Laden of his day. A man who hated Christians. A man who hated Christianity. You see, he was an unlikely candidate. 
He hated Jesus. He hated the church. And he hunted down every single Christian and had them tossed into jail and was holding the coats as he agreed with the stoning of Stephen. Acts 8, 1 through 3 says, And Saul approved of killing him. We're talking about Stephen here. On that day, great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And then it happens. All of a sudden, he's on a journey. Acts chapter 9 breaks out. So we go from wicked to wonderful. It's hard for me to imagine. So we have a guy who's persecuting Christian people. Now, all of a sudden, he decides on his journey. Now, be careful when you say you're going on a walk. Because if you go on a walk or you go on a run or whatever you decide to do, let me ask you, when you start that walk, maybe you're in one way feeling maybe not in the spirit to go run or in the spirit to go on a walk or a spirit to work out. But at the end of your run, at the end of your walk, at the end of your workout, let me ask how many in this congregation have you felt a sense of God at the end of it? We've all been there. Isn't it amazing? I know Brother Steve has told me, he goes, some of the things that I love about running is just being able to be out there in nature and enjoying that journey that I get to embrace in and being able to just be alone with God. So here was Saul. So he's just whistling along, having a great time, and all of a sudden, talking with these guys that are, you know, I'm sure he was out just to persecute Christians. I mean, he was seeking, hunting. He was tracking down whomever he could. And all of a sudden, God, a bright light, a bright light came, and God put Saul on his knees. And a voice from heaven says, you are my chosen. Now get up. Now, most would say, I think that was just coincidental. But here's what I found interesting about the story. Saul was not by himself. He was with others. Because you see, when you go through hardship and persecution, see, it's when you come out of that hardship, when you come out of the persecution, when you come out of the difficulty, that God shines his love and his grace upon you, and now you have something to share. If all we ever did was skip to the loo, my darling, sing zippity-doo-dah every day, I don't really believe many of us would have a story. But I do know that he came up off of that ground and said, I can't see. I cannot see what just happened to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what I love about our Lord. He's always writing our story. And so he goes back. And in this story, the Holy Spirit, the Lord speaks to him and says, there will be one that will come to you named Ananias. And so God starts to speak to Ananias. And this is what kills me. 
So now he didn't include just one person, not two, three, four, five. Now all of a sudden, everybody that hated Saul, the guy that people, when they would see him coming, I mean, think about it. If all of a sudden we saw these army trucks come around the corner and you knew that people were being persecuted for their stand in Christ, then we had these windows open. How many of you would just stand in this room or you'd all get up and start running away? Knowing that you were running for your life. And yet here's Ananias and the Lord starts to speak to him. He goes, "Uh uh-uh, no way. I am not going to go see Saul. He's that guy that kills everybody. He throws them in jail. He tortures them all because of you. No, not doing it. See, the Lord is speaking to you right now. He's been dealing with something in your life. He's trying to give you a story, and you won't surrender to it. And I love that when Ananias finally surrenders to that story, that all of a sudden, even in Ananias' life, he gets so excited that he's like, I think I like this. So he goes over to him, and it says in the scriptures that he put his hand on him, covered up his eyes, and it says scales fell from Saul's eyes. And he saw something he never saw before. Jesus. Isn't that amazing? I once was blind, but now I see. That's his amazing grace. That's what I love about that story. Oh, wait a minute. It wasn't coincidental that this took place. No, this happened for real. He needed something. Now he could go around and say, I need to preach the gospel of salvation. Jesus changed his life. So, now we fast forward and we ask ourselves, how does Paul help to build the church? How did he do that? Now watch this. The man that was persecuting the church went out to plant Ten churches and write 13, maybe 14 if you conclude Hebrews, which is still we don't know who the, who the author is, but we believe that it is him. Of the 27 books of the New Testament. Now that's a man who had a lot of stories. It was not always easy for the man chosen by God to help build the body of Christ. Last point. Paul stayed focused. Amen. Paul stayed focused in the face of difficulties. Paul stayed focused in the face of difficulties. Paul faced a lot of obstacles. First, once he became a Christian, the churches were not too eager to trust him. And I wonder why. Would you trust somebody that was just out to kill you? I've often scratched my head and said, why are those people here? And they want to be a part of our church? Because in life, there are people that are for you, for what you're for, for what you're of, or not for, or not standing with you. Comrades, constituents, and that other one. We realized that there was Paul who now, in Acts chapter 9, 26 and 27, listen. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciple, but they were all afraid of him. Mm-hmm. Not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him. And how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. 
a great, a great revival broke out. It took Barnabas, also known as the disciple, the peacemaker, to come alongside of Paul before folks would accept him. It took one man to go up and stand next to him. It only takes one, you, to be bold enough, to be courageous enough, to be strong enough to share God's grace with other people, to share his resurrection with other people, to share the story of grace with other people. You see, later Paul felt called to preach to the Gentiles. He was winning a lot of Gentiles to the Lord. Some Jewish leaders said Gentiles had to do two things to become part of being a Christian. Believe in Jesus Christ and be circumcised. Practice the Jewish law. So in Acts 15, we see that what people call, they called out to the Jerusalem Council. I'm not going to read it today. But it dealt with the question, do Gentiles have to become Jews in practice to be true Christians? And so... It was broke down in the council led by James, the brother of Jesus. When all the arguments were presented, the council reached the conclusion that the Gentiles did not have to submit to Jewish law. Now we have one obstacle down. Paul faced many other. About six years later after the council, Paul wrote the letter to the churches in Galatia, which is Galatians, and we know about that book, to defend the decision of the council and to deal with the question of his own commission by Jesus some would try to say that Paul was a false apostle since he was not one of the twelve. Paul suffering, Paul going hungry, being shipwrecked, beaten, stoned with rocks, imprisoned, mocked, among other things. Yet Paul still stayed focused on his call. You see, One of the greatest verses that I love that Paul says is this. He said, I know who Jesus is. He's my Lord. He's my God. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Paul had a one-track mind, and that was Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. In Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. This life I live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul, in the midst of his adversity, in the midst of his own life, he stopped He felt, he experienced who Jesus was. And this morning, can you say, I have a story. Many of you have written stories and they're they're posted up here on the platform. Many of you have stories that just you couldn't put the ink to the paper. For maybe for some of you, it was difficult. Maybe for some of you, you you couldn't come to a place where you're going, how can I even get this started? What can I say? But I'm here to tell you, there's no shame in your game. You don't have to worry about what your story is. Well, you need to worry about what your grace story is and how you can share it with the world. See, we've all been placed. I know for many of you, you wish you were placed 
and a monarchy and a place where there's kings and, and maids and butlers and you could drive fancy cars and eat fancy food and be served. But God didn't place you there. He placed you right here because you have potential, church. Look to the person next to you and say, you have potential. You see, here was Paul who felt he had no potential. And all of a sudden, now he's preaching the gospel of the resurrection. Today's the day of salvation. And I'm going to ask you, church, do you remember accepting Jesus Christ into your heart and into your life? Do you remember specifically that day, your salvation story? Do you remember that day when God pricked your heart and he called your name out and all of a sudden you felt that pressure, yet that overwhelming sense and and burden and experience and you knew right then God loved you so much that he went to the cross to die for you and now you have the great privilege of acting or reacting upon what he's doing in your life. God loves you, church. And He cares for you. He doesn't want your soul to go to hell. He wants you to spend eternity with Him. You heard me say that in the beginning of this message, that here He was, He was speaking. His 40 days was all about the kingdom. The kingdom of His Father. The kingdom of God. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you will be also. You heard me say last week, and good old doubting Thomas says, but how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. Go share a story. He loves you and He cares for you. But church, if we don't start acting like the body and start sharing stories, we need to fill this church up. We need to tell our loved ones about the one that died for our sins, but rose victorious from the grave to give us life. We have babies in our service. We have children in our church. They need to know that same Jesus that that loved you that much so that they have the same hope that you have. I love my daughters. And I want more than anything to see God move in their life. We're not perfect people. We're imperfect people in an imperfect church just sharing our stories like everybody else. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. He loved us. And He loves you. Would you come to Him today? Step out of your seat. Say, I need saved. I need to change. My life has been a shipwreck. And and you know, for many of you, I'm just going to tell you this and I'm going to close. I will tell you this. We all have these sad stories. We can sit, grab the Kleenex box, get down and boo-hoo all day long. And the next time somebody starts to boo-hoo, here's what I want you to do. Look at him and say, God is good. God is good. God is good. He's writing your chapter. He's writing a part of your book. And when it's all said and done, think of this sweet Sweet sound. You know, when Grandpa was living, you know, I learned this from Grandma. Let me share 
I remember as a little boy, oh, how sweet it was to sit in a pew with my grandma. What a better place to be with my loved one who shared this story of God's amazing grace. When I was a little boy, I loved going to grandma's church. It sure scared the life out of me. I think they were doing everything but holding rattlesnakes. Sorry, Grandma. But when they got to preaching, and when the Holy Spirit started moving, it was okay. She'd pat my leg. She'd say, Todd, if you need to get up, you know, this is really what she said. Toddy, if you need to get up, you can get up and go out of the back of the church if this is scaring you, honey. I said, it's not scaring me. See, when the Holy Spirit's involved, we always have to be afraid. God will give you the strength in your time of weakness. So we start on Acts chapter 1. And as the disciples watch Jesus ascend into heaven, the messengers of God came down. And they looked at those men. And with their heart overflowing, they said, Oh man, why do you just gaze up into heaven? For you see, he's the Son of God. And the Bible says that if you'll notice, he's taking his position at the right hand of the Father. And he's going to intercede for you and I. Oh, nothing can keep him on this earth. Nothing should keep us in the pew. Church, let's come together and share our stories. Tell people of the gospel of grace. Don't just stand. Don't just sit gazing up into heaven. Embrace it today. Let's all stand as we pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. Lord, help us. Father, to just embrace your ascension. To be a church that knows that we are filled with your power and your spirit. Father, if there's somebody today They might even be listening that does not know you as Lord and Savior. Maybe right now they're dealing with addictions. Maybe physical problems or even financial. Father, right now I just pray that you will touch them and anoint them. Father, I pray for for those that may not know you as Lord and Savior. May they come today to know who you are as their Lord and Savior. All they've got to do is believe, confess, and accept you. Just as Saul was transformed, changed his life as Paul, ran around and hid, for now people were out to murder him. But he was on the winning side. He was on your side. So, Father, thank you that in our hardships, that in our moments of difficulty, Lord, you are with us. Bless your church. Help us to embrace your word. And to not just stare, but to do. For we are the body. In your holy name we pray. Amen.